it's it's going to take time. This is a brand new team. Um, uh, we're trying to gel together, uh, trying to play proper football, and so uh, these things don't happen uh, in two weeks, three weeks. So it's going to take time. That was Lee Wynn telling us that it's going to take time to get the ball rolling the right way here in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale for now. It goes without saying, of course, it is a brand new team put together in a handful of months and it is exactly what Inter-Miami fans want to hear as the anticipation grows and we get near to MLS's 25th season. It is the 25th anniversary, which kicks off March 1st. That is, if you are a Rosa Negra faithful. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm Eric Krakauer, one of two hosts on this brand new podcast, Miami Total Football Radio, which will be dedicated entirely to Inter-Miami. Franco Panizzo is my co-host. He pronounces the pod's name a little bit differently. Yeah, it's uh, Miami Total Football Radio. Miami Total Football Radio. I think you know Franco. Perhaps you know Franco better than me if you are in the MLS world, if you have followed MLS for a few years. Franco has covered Major League Soccer for a decade now. Every MLS Cup since 2011. Yeah, that is almost 10 years I used to cover MLS, but now spend most of my time talking about European and South American soccer on television, but I am excited to devote my time to Inter-Miami because, Franco, as you know, I've been living in Miami for now about three years, and I have been devoid of uh, major league soccer. Uh, you and I met covering yeah. um, the the Red Bulls and NYCFC. I mean, th- those were two of the beats that you were covering. Yeah. Uh, but we used to see each other week in and week out um, in those stadiums. Uh, yeah, you're you're stadium. always by the food. I don't know why. Oh, well, <laughs> well, look at me. Uh, <laughs> always by the food. Um, Yankee Stadium and Red Bull uh, Arena. Now we are reunited here in Miami and very excited about this uh, project. And so what do you need to know about Miami Total Football Radio? Well, first of all, it drops every Tuesday morning. This is the Maiden show, the very first one. Uh, we are going to cover the club on a weekly basis. In fact, Franco, you've already started doing that. One of a few journalists who's, who's covering the team right now. So news, interviews, game analysis, and much more including having some guests who are connected with the team and the city of Miami and soccer on the show. There are plenty of them who have already expressed interest uh, in coming on the show, including players, but more about that at a later date, latter date. Um, There will also be occasional bonus pods later during the week uh, if there is uh, breaking news and midweek games. That will usually drop on a Thursday, but of course, it depends. And of course, you get lots more content on Inter-Miami, all things Inter-Miami, on all our social media channels. And we have plenty of them. Uh, On Twitter, you can follow us at MIA Total Football, and you can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. I forgot Facebook when we were doing a test run here. (laughs) Miami Total Football. And that will mostly be Franco in his shades, looking very awkward on camera, but already accumulating uh, a lot of fans. So we're going to get straight to it. This is actually going to be a slightly shorter pod because we are at the beginning of the season. 
And Franco, as I noted before, you have been covering this team essentially uh, with two or three other journalists. You have been uh, very invested in everything that they have done. You've been following their every move. You've been writing about it. You have been vlogging about it. Um, so awkwardly. Gonna, uh, awkwardly. And your shades. you got to lose those. Um, it's a Miami way, bro. Come on. It, it is the Miami way. It is. is and Some people I like, like that. Some people like that touch. I Well, yeah, well, keep him. <laughs> you tell that's, us. That's why in the second one I had him just like pinned on my shirt. I didn't have him on. I just had him pinned right there on the, on oh, the collar of the shirt. you got to change it up and whatever people prefer. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with some questions because I haven't been able to uh, go, for example, to this first right. uh, official preseason game as well as practices because – of my television schedule. So today is all about you, and that is why I'm doing the initial hosting duties here. Inter-Miami played their first official preseason game. There weren't many people, including media, which I've already said a few times. There was no live stream. Franco, you were there, as evidenced by that awkward stand-up. <laughs> and for those who didn't make it, um, what do we need to know? Uh, other uh, than the fact that uh, Pizarro, the second DP on the team, scored a goal in what ultimately turned out to be a 2-1 loss uh, against Philadelphia Union. Yeah, I was going to say that well they lost 2-1 with the with a late goal, goal lasso. Um but as for what we like what, what you took away from that game is just inter Miami style of play. Um they stuck true to, you know, what they've said all preseason uh and even before then in the in the sense that they want to be a team that knocks the ball around on the ground, keeps it on the ground uh and, and in fact they avoided long balls by instruction. Uh I think you saw four of them uh, throughout the course of the 90 minutes where they either kicked the ball up the field or out of bounds. It was just keep the ball on the ground at all costs, uh, even under pressure. Uh, and, I mean, that's, that, that was an attractive style. It wasn't the most effective. They didn't create a bunch of chances even when they had long spells of possession, but uh, it was an attractive way of, of, of seeing an MLS team play. Um, and I think Miami fans will, will learn to enjoy it, especially if they can start uh, – creating more chances and putting the ball in the back of the net. And from what we've heard from Diego Alonso, the coach, and the players, and you spoke to them after the game, they emphasize that point, that this is yep. exactly the kind of football that they are looking to play um, right from the get-go. Yep. And then you also mentioned to me um, in a conversation that we had that Diego Alonso said that it would take some time for him to be able to discern what the weaknesses would be in the team while trying to employ that system. Right, right. Uh, you know, he, he said during the week uh, at practice that he thinks it'll take till, you know, you, you train a team a certain way that's the way you want them to play, but he said it will probably take till match day five or six to see the flaws that the team has, to see the real flaws they have, and then he'll have to reconstruct, you know, what he has from those flaws so he can mask those flaws. Uh, you know, and one thing that he said uh, this weekend after the game, which I thought – was really interesting and, and you know, kind of illustrates what you're going to see from this team is that when, when I asked him about the style of play and, you know, the the idea of not clearing the ball or smashing the ball out of bounds and, and trying to keep play under pressure no matter what, he said, in, you know, he said in Spanish, I fell in love with the ball, con una pelota. I didn't fall in love con un pelotazo, a long ball. Um, so this team's going to play that way. Uh, to start the season, it seems like. Now, we've seen it before in MLS where teams want to play a certain way or they say they want to play a certain way, but then they get you know smacked in the mouth or the results don't go their way trying to play that way uh, with other teams sitting back, counterattacking, whatever the case is. And then they kind of 
come back to reality and change things. So we'll see how the first few weeks of the season go. Do they get results uh, playing the way they want to? If they do, they probably, I mean, I would expect them to stay that way. But if they don't, it'll be interesting to see if Diego Alonso changes his tune and maybe changes the, the system up a little bit. We'll see. But from the early stages, it's a very aesthetically pleasing style. Um, you know, very South American style, short passes on the ground, combinations, uh, build up possession through that. So It's worth noting that this is a guy who, who played for many years in La Liga. He was a Ford. He, he played for, for Valencia. He played for Malaga. He played for Murcia. Uh, he also went to, to China for, for some time and played uh, in South America. Uh, so he has essentially spent his entire career or most of his career playing in a country or countries that emphasize that style of play. And we have also seen it um, with Pachuca, and we've also seen it with Monterrey. For those who follow Liga Emekis, this is a guy who's won two CONCACAF Champions Leagues. De jugar con ella y creo que, que mis jugadores hagan lo mismo y que a través de eso podamos, podamos ganar, ¿no? Creo que, que es válido, que lo podemos hacer, necesitamos mucho trabajo, necesitamos, este no es, no es un día para el otro, pero, pero bueno, la idea eh, se va llevando a cabo, a veces lo podemos hacer mejor o peor, pero siempre con la intención de, de poder querer dominar el juego y tratar de ganar los partidos. Yeah, well, what's interesting with what, what you just said is, uh, you know, Uruguayan soccer and Uruguayan football or football is not uh, known for being uh, short passing and on the ground. It's more known for being a little more direct. You know, you look at Uruguay of, of the last World Cup cycle, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of direct play to Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, and it's, you know, it's up to them to, to resolve things in the final third and make things happen, which they do just because of their quality. Um, even before them, you know, you, you go throughout, you know, throughout the history of Uruguay, uh, all, all the fours they had, Diego Forlan, uh, you know, so it, the list goes back some time. So it's interesting that, that he's adopted this, like, this style of keeping the ball on the ground and trying to play that way, which is not necessarily the traditional right, Uruguay. Right, the Charua way, which is steely with a, with a bunch of uh, technical players. A and lot of great, a lot of fun. Yeah, and, a lot of cre and then a few creative players who tend to be uh, the, the difference makers. Me gusta sacar el balón desde el inicio del juego con balón controlado, las nuevas reglas no lo permiten, así que eh, lo hemos trabajado mucho y, y la, la, la sacamos limpia la pelota porque creemos que tenemos que seguir construir el, el juego desde, desde el inicio que tenemos el balón. Franco, I've been talking to Inter Miami fans, I've been talking to people in our line of business, uh, which is sports media, specifically soccer media, and it seems like people are divided about the strength of the roster. They understand that this is an, is an expansion team and for the most part expansion teams have difficulties in their first uh, seasons. And, but perhaps their perception has been skewed by the successes of LAFC and Atlanta United. How do you gauge, and again, you've been around a lot of these teams, how do you gauge this roster? How do you gauge the starting 11? Yeah, it's hard with... Uh without having seen them play much. You know, we saw one game over the weekend. Um, and besides that, you just see the names and kind of what they're going for in terms of transfer fees. Uh, obviously, you can rate the MLS players uh, just based off their their history in the league uh, and the known quantities and known commodities. But, you know, some of the foreign guys, uh, a little more difficult to, to assess. And it's also not just individuals. It's not, you know, we're not talking about just playing FIFA or, or Pro Evolution Soccer, which I prefer. Um, we're talking about a cohesive group, a, a starting 11, and then, you know, the bench. So 
I think this team, based on what we see talent-wise, is a playoff team. Uh, is it a top team in, in the Eastern Conference? To be determined, how, you know, how quickly do they gel? Uh, do players uh, perform to their abilities? Do they suffer injuries? I mean, all that stuff plays a role. I think based on the, the talent that we see on this roster, it's a playoff team, uh, but I'm not sure if, if it's a top team in the East, especially without uh, a, score, a goal-scoring striker. Well, let's, let's talk about some specific players. Let's start with the, the two DPs right now. Let's start with, with Pizarro because I don't think that we can shed too much light on Pellegrini. I mean, I've covered Inde, Independiente, but I would be lying if I've said that I know the player well. Uh, as for Pizarro, I, I mean, we've seen him. Uh, we've seen him uh, win uh, leagues. He won with, with Chivas. He, he's, he's won things with Rayados Monterrey, as, we, as we've said before. This is a guy who's a Mexican international, has been brought into the fold a lot more prominently with, with Tata Martino. I understand, and I've heard some of these, uh, some of this discontentment that he doesn't necessarily uh, fit the bill of what um, Inter Miami supporters wanted, which would be somebody who would represent the fan base in terms of their culture, whether that be Venezuelan, whether it would be uh, Brazilian or, or Colombian. Here is here is a, a Mexican player. Should we care that he doesn't represent those supporters? Should, should we be more concerned with the fact that this is a player that obviously the administration and Diego Alonso felt was the best fit for this club right now? I don't think it matters if he's Mexican or Colombian or Venezuelan, Argentinian. I think what matters is in, in terms of the Miami uh, culture in Miami is, is he a big enough name? Now, he's definitely a good enough player for MLS, and he will – score goals and get assists. You know, he made a difference this weekend, uh, right, minutes after coming in. So the talent is there. I think the, the bigger argument is, or the bigger question is, is Miami going to have a star, a real star that, you know, the casual soccer fan knows. We work in soccer. So you've you've come across his name. I've come across his name. Seen him play for Mexico. Seen him play in Liga MX. Now does the average soccer fan that maybe doesn't watch Liga MX, that maybe watches uh, the Brazilian League or the Argentinian League, does he know who Rodolfo Pizarro is? Does he know that? I mean, that's that's the question that I think is what people are still going to be asking themselves going into the season. And will that matter? Let's say two, three games in, he performs. And look, let's. I don't. I don't think we should dilly dally about this in terms of talent. You said he's a talented player. I think that this is a very good signing because in terms of talent compared to the the talent that we see in MLS, I think he is going to become if the team around him is a good one, and we'll talk about that in a second, he is going to become a top player in MLS. He's going to become one of the best players in MLS. He was able to deliver in Liga MX, and it is a superior league to, to MLS. It still is. Don't, let, are, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. We, we are catching up. We are catching up. And Pizarro himself said in his unveiling that he was told by Tata Martino that the, the leagues are on equal footing. I don't think that is true. So that being said, I think that this is a guy who makes an instant impact on this team. But again, as you noted earlier, you have to build something around him, and that's something that we have yet to see whether it exists, th that those building blocks. I mean, I saw with Lee Wynn uh, on the weekend uh, some good understanding, some good combinations, some good passing and moving uh, off of one another. Uh, and the team in general played that way. But again... This team needs a striker, and it needs a goal-scoring striker, a proven goal-scoring striker, especially now that with the fact that Julian Carranza has 
is out with an injury for uh, 10 to 12 weeks. And he is and, certainly not a proven striker. And he's not a proven striker. Then you have Juan Aguadelo, who I've always enjoyed watching Juan Aguadelo play just because of his technical abilities and how different that is in, in the American player pool. However, he's never he is, scored more than seven goals that's in right. a season. He is not a, a proven goal scorer even at MLS level. So for all his talent and ability on the ball, he's not a goal scorer, and that's what Miami's going to need. Pizarro can do a, lo- a load of the work, can lift a lot of the work, um, but he's going to need help. And you know, Inter Miami is looking for a striker. They've, Paul McDonough, sporting director last week, said they're still in the market for a center midfielder and a striker. So they're looking for one. Now they need one, though. They need one, and they need one sooner rather than later, especially with with the, you know how dire the situation is right now with these injuries. We need to move on because we want to keep we want to keep this first podcast somewhat short. Uh, I will say this: you look at some of the names that are going to be in the first eleven. I, w- I want to start with Luis Robles. You, you and I know him personally. Uh, I think he is fantastic for the culture of the club. He will set the standard. Um, after Dax McCarty left RBNY, we wondered who would, York Red Bulls for who, who would take the mantle as the leader of the club. He was one of them, but I think he stood out above everybody else, and that includes Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, that includes um, people like Felipe, who then, who, who then moved on. He's now at D.C. United. You've got Torres at center back, a two-time MLS Cup winner. Uh, you've got De La Garza, who's won it with L.A. and won with, uh, with Houston. You've got Trapp, who is a U.S. national. I know that he divides opinion. I get that. But this is a guy who's gotten it done for, for Columbus. And you got Ben Sweat, among others. These are veterans of the league, people who know the league inside and out. So very quickly, you said they have enough talent for the playoffs. I completely agree with you. So should the expectation be... Playoffs or bust? Expectation-wise, is uh, that's that's an interesting question because obviously in Miami you want to win, and you know this team has made no no secret about the fact that they want to come out and and compete for cups. And you know, Jorge Mas, one of the owners, during uh, Diego Alonso's press conference said, "We want to become the biggest team in this hemisphere." So you don't do that just by uh, getting to the playoffs. You do that by winning trophies. So I mean, they need to at least get into a you know deep part of the playoffs. They need to advance and make a deep run. Maybe not win the whole thing in the first year. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a tough challenge. Not even LAFC, who was a you know record-setting team last year in their first year with the same base did they did they achieve that? Atlanta United didn't achieve that. It's a tough ask. I think a deep run in the playoffs would be a good building block, a good starting point. I think that's the expectation because if you go into the playoffs and you get knocked out in the first game, well then, you know, that's not you you played one more game than than like most other teams and didn't make the playoffs. So. I think uh, from day one he came in here and, and you know he says you know he shows we, we want to play football um, from the back to the front uh, and uh, no matter what he he emphasizes he wants us to try to play um, keep it on the ground um, you know and uh, eliminate as much long balls as possible so you know um, gives us a chance to to play the style of football that he wants to play. A deep run into the playoffs. So that is uh, the standard that Franco Panizo right now is setting for Inter-Miami. I, I didn't set this. They said it on themselves. They said they want to come out and compete for Cups from the start. This is not what I – this is not the, the, the bar I set for them. This is the bar that they've set for themselves. They've talked a lot. So this is, you know. So speaking of setting bars for themselves, let's talk about – well, actually, let me rewind. With every expansion team in Major League Soccer, 
the question always becomes, is it going to work in this city? So there were questions about that uh, with, uh, let's, well, let's talk specifically about Atlanta United. Because I remember that when Atlanta United were awarded a spot in Major League Soccer, some people said it's never going to work in the South. And boy, was that wrong. Yeah. Because what they have done incredibly, and Paul McDonough, who you, ma- uh, who you mentioned, was there. He was a part of this. What they have done is incredible. They have set the bar for everybody else. There have been issues with Inter-Miami. None more so than the locale where Inter-Miami is going to be playing in Fort Turn Lauderdale. Up, yeah. Now, their, their, their secondary team, their USL team, is called Fort Lauderdale, yeah. uh, interestingly enough. Is Miami a city that is ready to have its own team? And what I mean by that, are we going to attract, is Inter-Miami going to attract spectators? Is it going to be able to be a success story when this season is said and done? It, that's uh, that's an interesting question. It's a, it's a good question. That's all uh, I ask. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I think as things stand right now, you know, you can't just judge it off season one. There's always so much buzz and hype uh, around an expansion season that uh, the first season usually people turn turn up to and, and, and watch, uh, especially if the team's competitive, which I expect Inter Miami to be. So it's hard to say on season in season one, uh, you know, the answer to that question. I think season two we'll see a little bit more. And then down the road, let's say you know they they can't finalize or, or they can't still figure out this stadium deal in Miami, and they have to stay in Fort Lauderdale a little bit longer. Then are people going to still continue to make that drive up, uh, you know, up on ninety five? Residents in Broward County will probably keep going, but will Miami Dade residents want to keep driving up and making that round trip on Saturdays or on Sundays? Uh, if the team is in Fort Lauderdale for a prolonged period, once the novelty wears off, that's that's a challenge that all MLS teams face uh, that once they come into the league. The initial the initial stage is all you know roses and everyone's excited and the boy once once reality sets in and like you know it, you see where the team really stands, whether they're competitive, not competitive, they're competing for titles, they're somewhere in the middle. That's when you know the shine wears off, and then that's when. Fans either will come out, uh, keep coming out in numbers, or they'll start tune, turn, tuning out and turning their attention to the next uh, next big thing. There is a precedent in the league: teams that have stadiums built near a town center or within a very close vicinity of uh, the town center tend to succeed. But then you look at projects like Chicago, and now they're changing stadium because yeah. of it. You look at uh, FC Dallas. Uh, playing in uh, out in Frisco, uh, another team right now is 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 escaping me. Well, there's even the issue of the LA Galaxy not being in, in LA, and LAFC fans always joke about that. But the LA Galaxy look is 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 the is the staple of Major League Soccer, so we can't include it. Now we have a team. Red Bulls, right? Re- Red Bulls, of course. How could I forget about the Red Bulls? Uh, taking You've taken ta- the path so many times, taking, brother. Come on, how do you taking the path. And then the, the old station, and now the station has been improved, yeah. and I haven't been there in a while. The Red Bulls hardly ever fill up, right? They've uh, closed. They've tarped off sections over the past year. Right. So that precedent does not bode well for Inter-Miami. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, being in Fort Lauderdale is obviously not – 
the ideal situation, nor is it, I think, the situation they envisioned when they jumped on board to start this project. You know, all the talk, and I was there in 2014 when David Beckham was on Biscayne Boulevard announcing his plans to, to do this whole thing. Uh, and their whole, their whole talk initially was, you know, we want to have a stadium in Miami. Their talk still is, we want to have a stadium in Miami. So that's their plan. That is what they're looking for, and that's what they're gunning for. That's what they're working on. It will be in Fort Lauderdale to start. You know, they've built a stadium, which looks pretty good. I mean, if you had seen the old Lockhart Stadium, this is, you know, 100 times better than the old Lockhart Stadium. Uh, I've seen it, you know, up close around there when I went last week for, for the practice at the training facility. So, again, it's all about, one, is the team going to be competitive? And two, how long will they be there? I think if this team's competitive, I think this team, you know, fights for cups, I think that that buys you time, and I think that extends the the you know the goodwill of of the fans and the interest in the fans. So, you know, everyone says South Florida is a fickle sports t- town, but people like winners, no matter where you go. People yeah. like winners, so yeah. maybe Miami likes winners a little bit more than you know teams that people in Boston or or wherever. But listen, at, at the end of the day, Miami's going to have to win, and they know that if they want to keep not only fans' attention, media attention. I'm going to be there because. I'm a soccer guy through and through, but our new station's going to come out. If this team's, you know, middle of the pack come June, June July, are they going to go cover this team? You know, if David Beckham's not making an appearance, and that's and that's the key. I, and I think you're absolutely right, and I agree with you. If they are successful, and of course, we're this is relatively speaking, I think the novelty will will ec- extend itself. Uh, and the David Beckham, David Beckham uh, factor is is enormous. Is absolutely enormous. If he keeps showing, if if and he will, I think he he will. I mean, he's he's been the face of this entire project throughout. I don't think it ends now. If that happens, the fact that they have a but I don't think he's going to be there. Like he's not going to be there every week. No, he's not going to be there every week. But he's still going to be involved. He's still going to do the social media stuff that he's that he's been doing recently. And then you add the fact that they do have a stadium. A stadium that is representative of their colors. A stadium that looks beautiful. A stadium that has been uh, uh, advertised on their social media cha- uh, channels. I think all the all those are ingredients to to attract people. And I think if if you, you know what would help them, yeah. you know what would help them, a, a big name DP, a big name designated player that the average and casual soccer fan can identify and knows who they are. And that can help them win games. Of course, I mean that's the, the the big name, the bona fide superstar is an important thing. And there have been names, uh, not necessarily bona fide superstars, but there have been names associated with the club, uh, names of players who have uh, more resonance than a Pizarro. But as Pizarro starts showing up on the field, I think they'll forget about that, and we still have the summer. And of course, a lot of these moves get made in the summer. Uh, Paul, Paul McDonough has said he he you know he doesn't think he's going to make a move in the summer because of the fact that. There's the Euros this summer, Copa America uh, again in 20, Copa America 2020 uh, in Colombia and Argentina. So he says, you know, if we sign a, a big name player that's, you know, more than likely playing for his national team, he's going to come after that tournament, and then he's only going to be around for ten games. Right. So and by the time he he gets integrated and assimilated to, to life in the United States, you know, it's like that 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 influences all. So I think they, if they're going to do it, they got they're going to have to do it now. That was Franco Panizzo. He's got all access. To enter Miami, he'll be covering the team day in and day out. 
And this podcast you'll be able to listen to every Tuesday. And just full disclosure, we had some recording difficulties. Long story, not worth boring you with the details, but it will get better <laughs> next week. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Remember that you can follow us on all the different social media channels. All you have to do is rewind to the beginning of this podcast and listen exactly how you get to follow those. I'm Eric Krakauer. This has been all about Inter-Miami. Until next week.